it's not so much a business. I think my podcast is the people. Their business is second. I don't go, oh, because they have this business, I want to talk to them. It's like, no, I want to talk to the person behind all that. And then everyone gets to know them. The more genuine and authentic you are, the more your guests trust you, the more things come out you didn't expect. And that's what people pick up on when they listen to the episode. The passion for me is that I interview this guest and somebody from a far, far away place walks in their door. And they say, I heard this podcast from Dave's podcast and I'm here to try your food. I'm here to try your coffee. I want to see what you're doing. That's, That's part of the goal for sure. Dave Sands of the Food Origins Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on. It's it's so awesome to sit down with a fellow podcaster because there's just certain things about doing this that we get, how long it takes to set everything up, finding people to, to talk to. What do you talk about? What do you talk about? Not being uh, intimidated, being on camera or on the microphone worried about what everybody else is going to say or nobody cares, whatever. You just go out there and you do it. So I respect you doing that, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to have another opinion like that. Yeah, thanks. So how Appreciate did you get into this Food Origins podcast? Because you remind me of, uh, I won't say Gordon Ramsay. No, you remind me of uh, Anthony Bourdain. Like, man, <laughs> I got some stories about food. I want to go out there and find out how different people enjoy different cuisines, how different chefs uh create their dish how did they, they get into it so you're tapping into an environment that i'm excited to hear about but how did you get into it uh it's a long story and that's kind of you know kind of why you wanted me to have me on but uh you know back in college uh i thought i was gonna be a graphic designer so i was going to school for that and thought i could do that and was not great at it at all and then uh you know i was looking at my drawings and there's like a guy with a Jim Lee comic next to me and mine looks like, you know, five-year-old drew it. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be a long road for me if I, I keep going this way. Right. I, I had a huge gap to fill. Right. And then, um, my dad and my ex at the time were like, Hey, you know, you're always cooking. You're cooking with your mom. You're cooking all the time, cooking everywhere and scouts, all kinds of stuff. Why don't you go be a chef? And my mom didn't like it because she had a, a job that you stand up all the time. She was like, no, you're going to be standing up all the time. But I was like, you know what? It sounds a lot of fun. So I went to culinary school at the City College of San Francisco to their hotel and restaurant program. Really great program. Two-year program. And they put you through the ringer for everything. Prep, cooking, breakfast, restaurant stuff, uh, management, um, doing like different uh you know learn the herbs and spices learn about wine learn about service um and, and you could go either route right like you were going to go behind the the kitchen or you're going to go work in a hotel kind of mm. those are the kinds of ways they taught so are you italian i'm not what are you half japanese half caucasian japanese yeah. ah nihongo desu ka yeah do you speak Skoshi. Skoshi. <laughs> oh good i got someone to talk to now yeah we both need to learn more. I need I, uh, to learn a lot more. But um, I think it's funny to throw I, people off because yeah. they don't think of me as understanding Japanese. So they start talking, and I'm like, "All right, yeah, you don't, you have no idea that yeah. I can, can understand what you're saying." Your background? What is your background? I took six years between high school and oh. college, and it was a funny story because I was supposed to go to a high school in the ghetto of where I lived. Yeah. And my dad said, no, you need to go to high school over here because that's where your sisters went and the district did some weird reorganizing thing. So they told my dad, uh, if you want your son to go to this high school, you got two choices. Either he can take or he, he's got to take a course that they don't offer at the other school. So either he takes Japanese or he takes uh, this TV class. My dad never told me about the TV class. 
So he said, uh, you, you're going to this high school and you're going to learn Japanese. And it's going to be a great thing. You know, it, we trade a lot with the Japanese. This is how he was thinking. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to go learn that. And, of course, I'm, you know, what was I, 14, 15 years old. I'm in Japanese. I don't know. How to, whatever. I'm like, okay, but I, I don't want to go to that high school. I want to go to this high school. So I guess I'll do what I got to do. <laughs> he didn't tell me until like 10 years later. Hey, you know, um, you had a choice. But I never told you the other choice. But are you happy? I'm like. You know what? That's a smart fatherly thing to do to not yeah. tell me that I because I would have picked the easier choice back then. Sure. It's funny how that experience there kind of puts me on a path to where, you know, taking the harder path just feels more rewarding at the end of the day, no matter what you actually yeah. do. And I'm like, okay, lesson learned from like 15, God, 25 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. But it's funny. I, I can still read it. I can still write it. Speaking it, I have to be immersed in the environment again. Like the last time I went to Japan was before the pandemic. And it comes back to you there. You start reading all the signs on the, at, on the train stations. You start talking to the people who run the restaurants. And then as soon as you go back to the States, it's like, oh, who am I going to talk to around here? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, you got one up on me. You got way more. I, you know, uh, the last year of high school, I took Spanish for three years. And then my Spanish teacher, we had a, a lady that came in and started teaching Japanese. I was like, oh, I wish I could have taken the whole four years. <laughs> and he knew, my Spanish teacher, knew, he was, I know you're leaving to go take Japanese. So go. He's like, just go. Take that last year and do one year of Japanese. But that's all I've got, which is <laughs> super easy stuff. You know, the hiragana and basic stuff. And It's, yeah. uh, it's a great language to learn. And to be immersed in it is, uh, is definitely something special now. How are you with Japanese cooking? Did your mom, who's the Japanese? My side? mom's Japanese, yeah. My mom's from Kyoto. Wow, it's awesome. So did she bring a lot of that home cooking? or did she Yeah, wasn't? she brought a lot of, definitely a lot of the home cooking, but also just kind of blending into with my dad being American and, and learning the, you know, kind of the American style of cooking and then just blending in. And then her friends, a lot of times, like we had an aunt, so-called aunt, it was one of her best friends, who was a really good Japanese cook and like her stuff was impeccable. Like it was oh, right shit. out of a restaurant. Yeah. That's awesome. And so then, you know, my mom took a lot of that from her and then just kind of blended in her own style and, and having just kind of like more home style. You know, everyone thinks like, Oh, you had sushi growing up. I was like, we didn't have, we didn't have that growing up. Was That's that, a special, a treat, you know, what was her dish? Was it Oma, not, not omakase. What's the, the, the omelet in Kyoto? Uh, the tamago, the, you know, like the, Oh, the, the oyakudon. Maybe that's what it is. Oh, Yakudon's really good. Um, we've made that, yeah. Like, but don't brewery, pretty much anything over Donbury, rice, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, so different dishes. But yeah, the, uh, Mike's referring to Oyakudon, which is a um, marinated chicken. It's either usually thigh marinated, and then they, they saute it with onions, and they make a, a broth, usually like dashi, and then they add egg to it. And that whole thing yeah. gets cooked <laughs> together and dropped over rice and... Ooh, yeah, I can't wait to go back to Japan. There's a restaurant there. Um, I cannot think of it right now. Is a hundred years old. That's been doing the same dish, and it's through every family generation. And they're still doing it today. In Kyoto, I don't know if it's in Kyoto. I think it's in uh, Tokyo. Now, actually, if you go there, you got to bring this whole equipment thing set up because to be able to talk to that chef or that family, how yeah. they were able to continue that story, yeah. that would be something. Yeah. But besides San Francisco, you've been to Hawaii. I have. So you know, in Waikiki. The Japanese restaurants there on another level than what we have here. Yeah. There's just so m- I gotta start writing them down because I know where they're at. I, I can always give you a list. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> I know where they're at. Like if I go there, oh this street, this street, that, yeah. that's that little hidden gem. Yeah. And a lot of the tourists don't know about it because it's not as yeah. big like I don't know all the spots. Like I, I haven't been there in a little while, but like yeah, I, 
I'm always getting hit up for where should I go here. And then I, it's fun for me to look up if you're like, oh, I want tonkatsu. Where am I going to get that? And like, oh, I'll search far and near, you know, to find it, whether it's a friend that's been there or I've been there or I look at, you know, different reviews. And I go by the amount of reviews rather than, oh, I have five reviews and it's five stars. I'm like, well, that's not enough people to tell me it's good. Let's have a thousand, you know, and then if you're at four stars, then okay, that's that, that place is probably pretty good. Well, we'll start with your best tips. What's your favorite Japanese place in around here? I'm pretty sure it's in the city, right? <sighs> it's not actually. Ooh. Where are we um, going? We're, there's two, and they're different. They're they just they're just different. So um, if you want ramen, it's ramen nagi in Palo Alto. Oh, I still haven't been there. Yeah, <laughs> still um, haven't been there. There, been there. Yeah, <laughs> so super good. Um, they have very traditional, and then they have very like unique dishes. They do uh, a squid ink based one which is really good. And that's my favorite one. No one else makes it. So that's the mm. only place you can get it. Um, and I think there's like two locations out here. I think there's one in Santa Clara and then there's one in Palo Alto. Now, how about uh, Ramen Dojo? Ramen Dojo is really that's good. A, that's yeah. the hidden one really in San good. Mateo that we're just yeah. telling everybody not to go see. Yeah, <laughs> they've been there a long time. Um, there's a few others like Orenchi. Um, Himawari is another one. Himawari. Yeah. That was my first take when I moved to San Mateo was that place. It Good. was just the, I think it's the amount of salt they put in the shoyu. It was just like, wow, this is like really. It's really good. I'm going to give it up, but their chicken karages is yes, in my number. Yes. It's in my number one spot. That's the number one? Yeah. My see, brother some, knows too. See, some people think it's, it tastes too much like American fried chicken because it's traditionally supposed to be a little more breaded. Like when yeah. you go to. A but Nigeria. I like that. It's, it's lighter. I think they use rice flour. They must use like potato starch or rice flour in there or something. Yeah, it's I like, like a, it. Even yeah. if it's not as traditional as it should mm-hmm. be, I like it. So yeah. I don't yeah. care if someone tells yeah. me it's not 100% traditional. Yeah. And then I'd say Orenchi does the tradi- more traditional style. Mm, more breaded, the- more crispy. See, this is good stuff. I never thought we were going to yeah. talk about ramen or the. See, I didn't even think about asking about Japanese. Now I can see it in the facial features. <laughs> like, oh, that's it right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, and then I'd say like, you know, some just kind of staples. But like San Mateo, if you haven't like explored, it's like another Japantown almost. There's a huge Japanese population there, so there's probably fifty restaurants that are Japanese over there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I mean Takahashi Market. Um, I've interviewed Bobby Takahashi over there. It's a family-run restaurant. They've been there 100 years. Um, that's the one I saw. Okay. Yeah, and that's the one you probably saw where it, they've kind of developed into serving a lot of Hawaiian stuff. So they have musubi there that are now on a to-go basis, and then they have all these like Hawaiian dishes that you'd see in Hawaii. So the kalua pork, plate lunch, right? So they have all that there, plus everything else. Ah, I'm you know? hungry. I didn't yeah. eat today. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't eat just so you know, I didn't eat before coming here either, man. But um, yeah, so that's like one that you wouldn't normally think about. And then, you know, there's Sushi Sam's who I love a lot. Like yeah. Sam, Sam really like does a nice omakase, right? And omakase, I keep screwing that that pronunciation up. But omakase. Yeah, everyone has it. It's two ways to pronounce it. But Pencil, Sam's yeah. really does a nice job. You go up to, you know try to get in their sushi bar up front sit there and then they just throw down what what's on the menu that day and then you delete what you don't like and then that's it Jeez. we can go on and on about japanese or restaurants around we could because this is we totally could <laughs> so let's get back into the actual podcast yeah so obviously your your um, interest in food goes way back when to when you were a kid and i can see how it carries on now so when did you make the switch because you weren't always doing this correct 
Nope. <laughs> I wasn't always doing the podcast. I, you know, um, yeah, I'm sure you're like me. I listened to podcasts for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I listened to Rogan back in the early days. Um, and and uh, I think I listened to like Rogan and Mark Maron back in the day. But for the most part, you know, I was a chef for five years professionally, cooked in restaurants in the city, and then I did corporate food service down in the peninsula. That's kind of where I ended up. And then uh, got kind of burnt out. Like I was working really hard trying to get, you know, get promoted to, you know, the chef positions and they just kept turning me down. I would do exactly what they wanted. And, you know, sometimes the corporate, they just, you know, they just want to keep you in a spot and just leave you there, expect you to be there forever. And I was like, well, I'm doing chef work. You're not paying me chef pay and it's tough. And that business is super tough, you know? Um, and so I got burnt out. I just looked for another job. I was like, I just want a job that pays me more than 12 bucks an hour, you know? Mm, yeah. And I was supposed to be getting salary at that time, you know, at, at that point. And so I just found another job working for uh, customer service at a Mercedes dealer. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. I became a service advisor there and made good money. I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. And then um, I had done a, a long time ago, I think when I was like maybe 11 or 12, I did a ride along with the, I, th- I believe it was a DAI. So uh, district attorney investigator. Gotcha. Okay. This is back in the old days. He was still driving a celebrity classic, right? The square <laughs> celebrity classic Man. with the hang light, right? I just remember he goes, hey, if you want to, you know, see what it looks like, you hang, you hook it onto pull the windshield. The dash. Well, yeah, you pull it down. It's hooked underneath or in the glove box. You yeah. hook it onto the, the, the forward of the windshield and then it turns on and then that's their little. But they were, you know, pretty low key. They didn't have any, you know. They weren't going code three in that car, you know, anything. Yeah. So I did a ride along with that and he kind of showed me and that was down at 850 Bryant. That's the old police station, San Mm -hmm. Francisco police station. So that kind of put a seed in me a long time ago. That was like one of those career days we got to do when we picked somebody to go with. And, uh, you know, I thought it was like I thought it was going to be like FBI agent or some special agent dude or whatever, you know, and Mm -hmm. I got that guy. And that just always like put that seed in me for a long time. And I had friends that applied and didn't make it or, you know, became, didn't, you know, became officers, but in different departments. Mm. And then while I was working as a service advisor, uh, one of my other friends um, suggested I, I apply to San Francisco. And I was like, ah, I don't, I'm not thinking about it or anything, you know. And I kind of just put it away and just put it out of my mind. And then I was with some friends and we were at a party. It was a college graduation party. And this poor guy fell through the glass door of a Victorian house. So, you know, the Victorian houses in the city have steep stairwells when you first walk in and then it's a glass, nice glass door. We fell through that Mm. and I was coming back outside and I was like, Oh, what's wrong with this guy? And he's bleeding from his ear. So I was like, Oh, we need to, you know, we need to help this guy. And I'm looking around, everyone's just kind of partying and not really paying attention. I was like, we got to go. And I was friend with uh, my friend that was with me. She's a nurse, so she's like, we can take him to the general and they have a free clinic. We'll take care of him, get him done. I was like, cool, let's go. As I was leaving, my friend shows up in a squad car. So, um, I mean, my friend is, this, I realized it was somebody I knew and I'd went to culinary school with him. Hmm. So that, that switch clicked, you know, and then I was like, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. And then that made me switch to applying to the police department putting, you know, at that time they were on a freeze and then I just put an interest card saying I'm interested and then put it in. And then about a year later, I think I, I got the application and then went into the academy. 
Man, that's awesome, man. You started in 2006. Yeah, wow. How was, how was the mood been? Mood then? How was the mood different? Then? They were and the mood then was they were needed. They needed hiring. So at that time, uh, I think Heather Fong and then later Chief Sir were on a hiring search. Mm-hmm. So it was like we we're down and, you know, Chief Sir uh, was like, hey, I need to hire a thousand officers within five years, five to six years. That's that's my goal. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and we just got put right through and, you know, we were rocking and rolling. Yeah, so that's, that's awesome, man. How did you enjoy uh, your first time being there as a police officer? Like, man, this is a like, was it welcoming? How was the community feeling to you? Was it like, man, this is like a this is a this is a really great, great, great career. I'm so excited to be in it. I I, I think I'm particular to it because I grew up in San Francisco, born, raised and, you know, lived in the city. So, like, I think that's. Um, not unique, but it's like, it's, you know, part of being part of the whole thing. And then the other part is I was told all these places not to go in the city and now I'm there working (laughs) in some of the, these, you know, seedier parts of the city that are more dangerous and, you know, where crime is happening a lot of. So it was a, it was a, it was a toss up between like, you know, yes, I was glad to be in the city. It was really the only department I applied to. I applied to one other one didn't get in with that one. And I think they knew I was going to San Francisco and I was happy to be there. And, you know, I took it one day at a time, try to enjoy it, but also like it was, there's a lot of things going on that no, the average person just doesn't see, you know, they don't. And then it's funny. We, 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 we were, uh, we were talking about this before we started recording and it's just, yeah, if people understood the things that, you know, the kinds of calls for service that we get every day, you know, there's the things you see on TV. There's the things that you see on Law and Order, and that can happen. But it's such a small percentage of what the culture service actually are in the city. Most of them are more quality of life issues. And then you start realizing that you know your job as a police officer is really to improve the quality of life of the city. That's what the citizens the, the citizens expect of you. They don't necessarily care how many arrests you made or how many uh, drugs you got off the street if it doesn't pertain to their quality of life issues. And it's 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 an interesting thing because for a long time it was just you know police officers we go and arrest the bad guys that's what we we do, and then the tables they never really changed because it was always a quality of life but the mindset as to what's more important is it like the the crosswalks or is it uh, the people who are driving on a suspended license whatever, and it's funny how as time has gone on we've sort of seen that become more of a prominent thing or at least I have have you seen that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, and and stuff has kind of spiraled into getting uh, you know somewhat out of control with everything that's going on in the city, with homelessness. The crime is up. Um, those two things in, in in general, right there, you know, driving everything up. And then you know you have friends or tourists coming through, and they're like, "What's this going on over here? Why is why is there you know?" why is this place a mess? You know, it's full of crap and somebody's living in front of a million dollar condo and you can't get rid of them. And then, you know, there's a line of, of tents booked underneath the freeway and, you know, you try to help them. The hard part too is you try to help everyone and some of them don't want to be helped. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, a, an honest opinion um, that I dealt with is like, they don't want to be, they're like, I don't want any of your services, but you're here you still are taking advantage of some of the services. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. It's a, t- it's a tough balance to help them. And then, you know, they just want to take advantage of everything. Well, like in your opinion of all the people that you contacted, what percentage would you say are people that legitimately wanted help? And we were trying to give them what they needed versus the people like, I don't care what you offer me. 
I'm staying here. What would you say the ratio was? Considering I, I, I ran into more people that didn't want help, but, you know, <laughs> that's just my personal contact. But I'd say it's pretty low, yeah, as far as who wanted help. Man. You know, they're just trying, trying to take advantage of it. And that's just a balance the city has to work with. And, you know, you, the hard part, too, is you have people coming from all over the country as well. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's one of those those things that kind of goes beyond even law enforcement or the, the problems that San Francisco faces. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a sentiment everywhere you look. There's some people who just they will do the minimum amount that they can to get ahead in whatever industry that, that they're in. Yeah. And then there there's people that want to work extra hard to get there. And then there, there's some people that would like to, but they don't have the, the, the tools that they need to go and be, be someone better. And it's those people there in the middle that were like, okay, if I can help you with the tools, you're going to take it and run with it. And then to see those people succeed in whatever area that that is, that's like the most beneficial thing that I think society really wants yeah. is that if there's somebody who wants help, but just need a little help with the, with the tools or if somebody wants to do better and they just need a little help with the tools that, that they need and we give it to them, that's going to do so many, so many wonders for them and for society versus the people that were trying to force feed them all the tools and help whatever and it's just not the same they're like okay great i'm still staying here yeah and you know what sucks is the men and women working are working super hard to keep everything you know calm and and cool and collected like they're they're trying to make the city great you know but they're having a hard time with everything going on and you know these uh, you know kind of just all the crime going on and, and 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 then just not being able to you know seeing the same person over and over again, you know, he's like, I arrested that guy last week and he's out and he's doing it again, you know, and that's a tough thing to deal with. Right. Yeah, it's crazy, man. But you, so you did it for how many years? Uh, about close to 16. I got hurt that, in between towards the end of that. And that's kind of why I'm, I left, but, um, you know, I enjoyed it and, you know, kind of just want everyone to know, like there's these, these men and women working really hard and, you know, you got to kind of think outside the box of what they have to do, you know, like, you know, even me and my partner uh, back in the, you know, when we were on the footbeat, we came up with a, a, a job program for gangsters, you know, that was something that we kind of thought outside the box of seeing the same person every day, a kid that was skipping school, you know, hanging out with gangsters. And we were like, this is this this is just going to continue if we don't stop it. Right. And. That was one idea that we came up with. Of how do we stop that? And it's like, uh, you know, you should get a job. If you don't want to go to school, then you should get a job. You know, you're here at 12 noon in the middle of the day, hanging out with blah, 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 some older guys or the OGs or whatever it is. How do we, how do we get this person to stop, you know, hanging out and going down the wrong path? And we came up with a, a program when we tried to make contact with people that were willing to hire them and, you know, try to, to find a funnel where they could go, okay, this kid, you know, if he, and, and it was tough because you got to get him at that right time, right? The, yeah. the time where the, the, the fork in the road is like, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. And if we got someone and they got a job, they were off and running. And we, you know, what's great is we kind of never saw them again, which was kind of like, Hey, that was the that point. Was, yeah. Yeah. That was the whole point and off and running. And a lot of times, sometimes we'll see them down the road somewhere else and they're like hey i got a job and you're right like i was i was really going down the other way and then sometimes we just weren't able to get somebody something and then they went down the, the bad road which is tough to see or something happened to them and yeah they didn't you know 
we had one person, same thing. She, she got addicted to the wrong substance and she was causing a lot of problems in the neighborhood. And there wasn't much that we could do initially because it's like a rotating door throughout the, the, the system is that if you put them in jail, they get right out, especially after Prop 47, which a lot of people have their opinions on in that thing. Yeah. And we're like, okay, how do we help her? Like, clearly she she's living in her house, so she's not, you know, like trying to trespass anywhere. Uh, but she's becoming a disturbance to the city. And then the neighbors are complaining and we're sort of our hands are tied what we can't do. So we just kept making sure that we documented every time that we had a contact with her and what her behavior was. And over for time, with that much time and effort, we were able to go to the county and say, you know, that this person needs help. Here's how much, here's our calls for, for service for her. Here's what we've been dealing with. Here's how she's affected the, the neighborhood before the state said, okay, we needed to, to, to step in and we need to do some now because of this long track record that you guys have documented with, with her. And then one day she wasn't around anymore. So... I think she made her last mistake and eventually when the officers arrested her and she got put into the system, they're like, okay, you're staying here. We have to get you help. We need to get you cleaned up, whatever. And then I didn't see her for like two years. And then randomly she was driving down the, the, the street, didn't recognize her at all. And she, she waved to me, hi, officer Acosta. Do you remember me? I'm like, who are you? And then she told me her name. I'm like, what? That's what? Really? Like, how you doing? And she like totally different, cleaned up, harassed. She had her son with her and she was driving her car, going to work. And she's like, thank you guys so much for doing what you did. I needed help and I couldn't, I wasn't in a position where I could accept it. I had to have you guys force it to me that way. And because you did that, I became a better person. I got off all that, that stuff that I was on. And now I'm a better role model for my son who was growing up seeing this because he was you know, seven or eight years old yeah. at the, at the uh, time. And now he's got a better relationship with his mother. And now they're doing better things in society. I'm not sure what she's doing now, but yeah. she's become a productive member. And a great example of like somebody when you when you can devote that much time and effort to helping them get to where they need to get to, they can do great things. We all have the ability to do it. It's just a matter of do we have the ability to put that much time and effort into that, like your program as well. Getting that guy into a job where he can thrive, start making some money, and now he's not on the streets doing stupid stuff, and it's making the city, uh, the streets safer with him not doing that, and he's also benefiting himself in society. So it ends up working great, but you're right. It's a lot of resources to pour into one or two people, which yeah. I know the city's probably- And that's what's happening to you know the homeless and everything else. The resources go into a person, and then if they don't want to do anything, then what? You know, you're kind of left to what do you just, do? With what do you point? do with that person? You know, and it's all case by case, and mm-hmm. you do know, like every person has their own issues, what they're dealing with, where they came from, you know, what problems they have, how are we going to get them set back on track, and that's a that's a huge huge task. It's a challenge, and I know we're never going to be able to solve it sit, uh, <laughs> sitting here. Many people who get paid way more than us, yeah. and politicians have tried, and you know, it's yeah. a, just something that eventually is the right answer is going to happen. I don't mm-hmm. know when that's going to be and what side of the, the argument that, that you're on, but it's uh, something's going to have to happen eventually. Yeah. But going back to your to your time there, it's during this this whole time that, that you're serving the, the the community in the city that you grew up in, being in law enforcement, where was your mindset at with your whole food thing? Was that put on hiatus? Were you still doing that at the same time? Food was always on my mind. Uh, it's pretty easy to do that in the city. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because where you work, whether, you know, in the mission, especially, which is the hotbed for food, uh, especially in the industry. Um, some of the hottest restaurants have opened in the mission and, you know, whether they op- stayed or not, but the, you know, a lot of chefs have come in and, and, and start, you know, become stars kind of 
and the restaurants have come really well. So I just, the food scene in general in, in San Francisco is huge, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's got San Francisco, LA, New York. Those are the three biggest cities we have, right? And so I got to see all all of that all the time. So I was seeing, oh, there's a new restaurant that just opened. You know, I'd be on a call or something. And like you'd <laughs> Look see at it. that place. Well, you just kind of, you know, out of your eye, you're like, oh, that's a new place. Let's try to grab lunch there some other time, <laughs> yeah. you know. People don't know. We have a working lunch. We don't get a lunch. It's a working lunch. Correct. You get it when you get it, you mm-hmm. know. I've thrown a lot of lunch and a lot of coffee away. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. You know. And then uh, I got smart and started carrying a leak-proof coffee cake cover uh tumbler and there we go yeah learn my but i think one. what's cool is i got to see a lot of businesses grow you know um i think that's that's something that i appreciate so i got to see restaurants that were starting realizing oh this restaurant's been here a long time um so that that kind of was always in the back of my mind and then i was always um you know kind of offered up to cook as well once they found out i could cook uh, you know, the troops, were, you know, the the troops and cops were like, oh, you know, you're doing Sunday supper. You know, I, I went to the <laughs> first the first station I went to. Um, shout out to Steve. He knows exactly uh, if he ever listens to this podcast. I don't know if he will, but he's like, hey, uh, we hear you, uh, you can cook. And I was like, yeah, I can do a couple things. And he's like, well, uh, it's Saturday, tomorrow, Sunday. So we do Sunday supper on Sunday and we usually have someone cook for the the watch <laughs> yeah and the watch is about 10 you know for us it's like 10 to 15 people and he's like well uh can you do it i was like yeah he's like cool you're up <laughs> you know so i was like okay and um yeah so i cooked actually um at that time this was probably 2007 so at that time probably the instapot was pretty coming out pretty pretty Still hot got right that then thing. yeah yeah um, mine broke. I got a new one, but <laughs> it's, it's killer. And so I just threw, uh, five pounds of, uh, pork shoulder in an instant pot, made it clue of pork, oh, brought man. some rice in, brought some steamed rice in. And then, uh, I threw cabbage at the end. So you kind of get that clue of pork feel going and made that for them, uh, that Sunday. And they were like, Oh, you're in dude. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you're in. This and was then, how many years in? Uh, well, barely, I was still, I was on probation. So oh like a yeah. You're in basically. You're sold now. Yeah. 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 And they're like, cool. Around. Yeah. You're in. And then, <laughs> uh, it kind of spiraled into other stuff. There's like, you know, rib cook-offs that we had, um, anytime, you know, there was something going on, holiday party, whatever. And especially when I went to like my permanent station at mission, I cooked a lot. I cooked all the time, every holiday. Cause I, you know, one, uh, I wanted to do it too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it was a huge like, uh, passion for me, but it's also like, I really liked cooking for other people. I get joy out of that, you know, and seeing them happy and you know how hard everyone works and to see them just come in for, you know, if, if they can stay for 10 minutes or 15 and sit down and have a nice meal, that's, you know, that, that makes me happy, you know, and. Now, did you compete with with fire? Because some of those guys, can yeah, cook. on the rib cook off stuff, there's some separate teams, but it was all you know, it was all in good fun. You know? Oh yeah, it's all in good fun. But we got still the a People's bit of, Choice uh, Award though, which is the best one. Is like, it? You can the the first place, second, third is all subjective, but when you get People's Choice, 
That's the one. That's the one. So you yeah. got that one for the yeah, station. Yeah, we got that for the station, and we we're like, cool. We don't care about any of the other ones. People's choice is what it is. We were still further. Like, hey, you guys got all that that time to cook. We have we have yeah. a few seconds because then we got another call. The yeah. fact that you still won the competition yeah. in that and they way. They have some huge grills on their stations too. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you guys. Some of these fire stations, like, wow, this is a full on like Gordon Ramsay mm-hmm. kitchen in here. You yeah. guys don't play around, do you? Yeah. I was like, man, I'm using like an old oven and old grill and. <laughs> But you make it work. So I always enjoy doing that. So I did, you know, as many holidays or any off days that we could that we had time to to break out a meal and, and cook for everyone. And then I was trying to make sure it wasn't just like protein, try to have like everything like and sometimes it'd be potluck. We got friends that, hey, you know, there's different stuff that come through and, you know, you can make, you know, Jamaican rice or, you know, some awesome spring rolls or whatever it is that all that stuff gets put together and then everyone's just like get a nice spread going, you know? Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, think the best one we had, there's a couple, but like, um, Dan will know, uh, we had a, tur- we did a turducken. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you do that? So we didn't do it. Uh, shout out to the butcher in the city that, that made it for us, but we ordered up a turducken that was done. So if, if people don't know, it's a turkey, a duck and a chicken all wrapped together. So it's layered in three layers and then you uh, roast that. And then when you slice it, you get a piece of turkey, a piece of duck and some chicken. So John Madden wasn't kidding around with that. That's an actual thing that people can, what does he do? Does the, does the butcher like sew it together? Somehow? So, I mean, you see how the turkey's pretty good. I'm uh, pretty big. So I think they debone the turkey and then they, de- they, they, everything gets deboned. So it's all one solid piece and there's oh. no bone. So you can slice right through it. So, so you, oh. Jeez, no. Yeah, now pretty cool thing. Oh, and, then, and then to do it at the station, wow. people are like freaking out. They're like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's a turducken. They're like, that thing yeah. exists? Like, yeah. I think, uh, you know, we always did tri-tip and, uh, and, and chicken. Uh, chicken's like my favorite thing to cook, I think. Marinated uh, chicken thighs on wow. the grill. Ooh, yeah. That's... Yeah. Mm. It's so, just, it's something, it's like the cheapest part of the chicken to get, I think, or for maybe the legs are either way. That's like the most juiciest, tenderest, like, wow, if you do it right, you yeah. almost can't screw it up. But yeah. it's still, it's just, man, it's good. So like, I, I always had that passion and then seeing, being able to, um, do that. And then seeing some of the businesses that are growing in the city or coming up, you know, whether it's coffee, you know, shout out to Jacob at Phil's, right? Like watch Phil, Phil's coffee grow while I was there. Wow. You know, when I was on the footbeat, they had four locations and shout out to them. They, they've got 80 set locations now. What was the first one? 24th and South Van Ness. And that was in your that, district? Yeah. That's the wow. original location. 24th and Van Ness. I need to go check it out. South Van. South Van Ness. Yeah. Right. Wow. I didn't mean, I, I, I never thought about it. I see Phil's around here like it's no big yeah. deal. And I didn't realize, oh, they started here in the city. Yeah. This was their, their jam. This is a, uh, and blue, in the mission. Blue bottle as well. Blue bottles. Another one. Yeah. That one. I, okay. That blue one. Bottles come become like a huge thing. And I think they got bought out recently, but yeah, they started in on Fern Alley out of a garage. Did people forget there's a lot of culinary history here in the city. Yeah. I mean, you know about the mission and the Hispanic food there, you know, about Japantown and whatnot, but people yeah. forget like I, you know, just coffee culture too. Like the, the things that start in San Francisco in terms of food and, mm-hmm just in a different way of thinking because we're so, you know, we're the West Coast. So there's a lot of Asian influence over here. Yeah. We're also um, up the street from Mexico. So a lot of the Hispanic influence in there and that mesh mm-hmm. pot of different styles of cooking kind of all come together here that you wouldn't get if you were in the Midwest necessarily That's or it. Chicago. Yeah. And kind of getting privy to that and, and like seeing that kind of stuff or seeing a restaurant or a friend's place or 
you go into different spots. You're like, oh, that's there. Now I know. Let me put that. Let me write that down and put that down and back and go visit later. You know, when I'm off or whatever, and go have a good dinner somewhere. So like that, that was always in the back of my mind. So food was always there. Even you know, my old, my old partners will tell me like, oh God, what we where what what place are we trying today? Or because I would never also never want to go to the same place all the time, right? Like I get mm-hmm. bored or not bored, but I just be like, Hey, I want to try something new. So that's always fun to do as well. Especially when it's, if you know, you hear about it, you know, the chatter starts coming out and this was like before a lot of the Instagram stuff, but like you just hear chatter from Yelp or, you know, one of these, like whatever it is, right. Mm-hmm. The news and the Chronicle. And, uh, it's like, Oh, this place is hot. You know, this place just open. Everyone loves it. It's like, oh, I think we got to go check it out. And it was, especially I got lucky if it was in my district, which yeah. a lot of times it was. I was like, let's try to go get a meal there, you know. So spoiled for sure. But just exposure to like Peruvian, Mexican, Japanese, you know, like, you know, barbecue, uh, you know, it's the, <laughs> a list is long, you know, and, and, and fortunate. So like that's what's cool to see. And so I was always around it. I, I kept relationships with a lot of the the owners, you know, the, when they first open, because a lot of times I go there, especially if they're in my district, go there and say, Hey, you know, we're here to help. What do you need? You know, you know, just so you know where you are can be kind of dangerous at night. Just so you know, just keep your eyes out, keep your eyes peeled, kind of give them the lowdown, you know, like how, you know, how to secure your place, especially if they're brand new. So we would kind of do that and help them out. And, and they, they appreciated that. And then, you know, they always remember you when you come back and, you know, I'd be a customer just as much as just trying to help them when I was, you know, in the department. So I kind of, you know, I think, as you know, like relationships are super important and you got to keep them up and, and just keeping in a good rapport and, and trying to help them in general. Just just trying to help. It's just you know? that that's really big. The idea of the real community policing, just yeah. walking into an establishment in your district and saying, hi, I'm officer so and so. You know, here's some tips for you. Uh, if you, you know, if you need anything, call us and we're here to help or right down the street or here's my normal beat time, whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that because staffing is so low, there's really no foot beats anymore. It's they tough. just don't have the time to, yeah. they don't have the manpower to, yeah. to staff that. And then if we could fix that and say that would change a lot. Yeah. And they know, they know, they know it works. The foot beat really works really well. Oh yeah. And I, I'd say that for any department that can do it. It, it works really well. Really good. Not only as an officer, you get your steps in for the day if you're into counting all that, but the, <laughs> the neighbors see you when they see cops walking around, they just feel safer. Whether or not you actually, is that going to stop a criminal or not? I don't know. But the fact is that, that they see you yeah. and the businesses see you, they just feel safer. At the very it, least. it does because you're there every day. So like there's a difference between you driving by, mm-hmm. you know, and we all know if we have a commute, we drive by stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And then one day you drive by and you're like, I never knew that was there. And I've been oh. driving by a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're walking by something, you get to see at a slower rate and you can kind of look around and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I know exactly where that is. Like you could just send me a picture of a business without the streets and I'd be like, I could tell you where that business is. Right. And that's getting to know the district really well. And, that, and then that helps because you'll come, you know, There'll be like a patrol call and then you, the footbeat will walk over and go, I know these guys right here. I yeah. can tell you who they are. Man, it's a... Uh, and that helped, that helped a lot, right? It helped progress my career and, and understand it and, and, you know, be able to just be helpful and 
be a crime fighter, you know? So I'm guessing that's probably one of the best parts of your job is the ability to go out and do that, yeah. which is like the essence of community police and what a lot of people yeah. want to be police officers yeah. for is to go and feel like they mesh with the community, help them out and know that their resources, something actually happens. And then during this, this, this whole time, again, 15 years in yeah. the industry, yeah. it's a long time. And, you know, thank you for being, you know, in the industry that, that long, <laughs> uh, where were you at with, your food was just a passion at that point, like I enjoy eating it, or were you already thinking in advance, like what's my next step? Uh, what's a that was not in the plan, you know. I was easily going to be a 20 year career uh police officer, you know. Um, at least they can do 20, 25, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I was in for the long haul in 2019. I fell with all my gear and got hurt, tore everything in this left arm, and I dealt with it ever since. And so with that, in, with all those injuries and dealing with it, you know, I ended up leaving the department. Mm -hmm. So I ended up retiring out and, um, still dealing with a lot of the injuries even today. And, um, through that process, you know, when you lose <laughs> kind of everything, which I was on trajectory to just be, you know, doing what I was doing, you, you have to take a step back. I think that was the hardest part was not being able to do your favorite things you know, um, you know, if you, you lose a, a, you know, use of a ligament, it's, it's a huge deal and a huge process. And then just not knowing what's, what's next. So I went through that process. So from, you know, going through and then in the middle of COVID happened as well. So there's a lot going on, you know, mm -hmm. um, I lost my mother in 2019, same year I got injured. So it was a rough year for me for sure. Wow. And, um, you know, so I was dealing with a lot and and starting to just start seek out what I could do next. So that was that was the toughest part. And and then I started looking, you know, shout out to my wife and a few other friends. They're like, hey, you need to you know, you have this other lane, this other passion with food. And I was playing around with Instagram before I was like um, a lot of times I would just, you know, show a cool restaurant and hey, I had this dish there kind of early days of vlogging, but just, you know, usually just pictures because Instagram then was just pictures before they went to full video now. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just show that. And then my wife one day was like, you cook every day and it looks great. Why don't you show that cook? You know, why don't you show your cooking? So I was like, all right, I'll start showing my stuff. So then I start playing with recipes at home and then I'd cook something, take a, try to take a cool picture post it and everyone's like oh that's cool what else you got you know and so it kind of spiraled more and more and more I was like oh that's more fun it is my cooking rather than promoting a restaurant that you know I, I get nothing out of even though it helps them but mm -hmm. I'm not getting anything out of it right it's all for them well before we get into that I kind of want to go back to after the injury because you, you said something there that was really impactful that not only did you have this pretty much life-changing injury that you had to deal with at the same time you lost your mother and then this is right before COVID too, correct? This was uh, during pretty much. It was during COVID. So yeah. you, you want to talk well, about? Yeah, you're right. Right before, year before, yeah, year before. So yeah. you want to talk about having just life throw unexpected curveballs at you at the same time? One's bad enough to have multiple. Like, how do you? How did you mentally pull yourself through it? Or more importantly, how did you keep yourself from getting into a really bad place? Uh, it's tough. It's tough. Um, I had to dig deep for sure. You know, um, you know, me and my brother, you know, I have an older brother and we kind of had each other. We had to have be each other's back. And then 
with my wife, with her support and, and then just reaching out to other friends, you know, um, and reaching out to some relationships that I, I've worked, uh, that I've kept that were, they're high level people, right? They're maybe a pro athlete or they're a doctor or they're, uh, you know, a chiropractor or somebody in the, the field that I would need help in. I reached out to them and were like, what do I need to do? And they're like, this is what you need to do. It's happened to me. You'll get through it. And so reaching out to that, those individuals helps kind of pull that together. And, and I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want everyone to feel sorry for me, but they kind of did just cause they knew what was going on. But I was also like, okay, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to rebuild? And knowing that it was going to take a long time, you know, I ended up having two surgeries and it's, you know, still dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of, a lot of stuff going on with the body. So reaching out and building those like relationships, like I was talking about helped pull that more, getting more positivity from them. They're like, Hey, I've, I've had a, you know, you know, torn ligament. You have to get through the PT or try to keep your diet, you know, a, a certain way, or, you know, try not to gain too much weight or, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I talked to one trainer and, and he didn't have to say anything to me. Like he doesn't know me from Adam, but I DM'd him one day and, I was like, Hey, what do I do? You know, like I, I, I'm freaking laid up here. And he's like, you have two legs, another arm, use them. Like go for a walk, go for a walk, go for, go hit the, you know, if you can hit on stand on it, if you can bear standing the, uh, sitting on an exercise bike, move those legs. I was like, he's right. He's totally right. That's so, and that's just so powerful because it sounds like you didn't want anybody's sympathy. But you want I didn't, to and it's easy to want it because yeah. you're like, because oh, that's the first thing that comes up. Like, where you been? What's happened to you? And you know, and I will tell everyone, but it's like I don't, I don't want it to be the thing, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I try to find the next thing, and so going through that process, you know, of just trying to stay resilient. I think that's a big, big word that's come up a lot, and um, just trying to stay, stay the path, and figure out, figure this out, and stick it out. You know, say what you want about society and the way that we tell people that they're supposed to do. I think it's really big for for guys, especially that if we get into a very bad spot, like yours is a great example of a lot that happened to it at the same time. We really don't want anybody's sympathy. We really want to know, okay, this is what I'm doing. How do I get through? What are the steps I need to take? Tell me how to fix it. And by by someone telling you as simply as you have three other ligaments, use them, go for a walk. That's going to make you, that's going to put you in a better spot. Say, okay, go out there and do it. When you could have easily have sat home and said, you know, the world's against me. I need Medicare or I need the government to pay for me. Like, no, I got I got other things working. What can I use in my body now that's working to make myself better here? You know, unfortunately, going through with what you're with uh, your uh, your uh, mother passing on like that. It's an easier one for people to say, wow, now it's all piling on me. The world's against me. Like, no, it's a tragedy. But how do I get through it? I have to think about how do I be strong for my family? or my wife or whatever it is because they're relying on me and to get yourself focused on what you need to do to, to get through it kind of helps us, especially as dudes get through it faster rather than just waiting for a lot of sympathy and no disrespect to anybody that needs therapy because I know therapy is really important. It's definitely a part of it. I just find out that for guys, it's like, okay, tell me how to fix this. This is what I need to do. Here's my, my plan. Good. And I'm going for it. I get my mind fixed on where I have to go and I'm going to get there and to see you pull yourself through that. You know, it's an incredible story, and I'm glad that they, they, that you said it because people need to hear it. You think you're going through a lot in life, and some people probably are, but here's what this, this guy went through. 
That's a lot to go through at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And here's how he was able to get out of it. It's incredible stuff, man. Thanks. I mean, I, I know there's people that have gone through a lot more, so it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things, but I think, uh, pulling together and willing to ask for help is, is a, is a hard thing to do. Especially for us guys, we like, you know, you don't want to sign a, a, you know, show a sign of weakness, but part of it is you are weak at that particular time. You are vulnerable. You are hurt. You are, you know, damaged, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you pull that together and just understand, you know, um, what you need and try to find that and then try to find another passion. And that's why I was like, I digged into the food and everyone else was telling me that too, you know, like shout out to those, those folks that helped me figure out what else I could do, um, mentally. Cause I was like, I got to use my mind now. Like my body's kind of jacked up. So yeah, yeah, what can I do in the meantime and, and build on that? And that's kind of the idea for the podcast. So I started thinking about before it became a podcast, I thought thinking about just people's origin stories, you know, everyone has an origin story. And I was like, I could do this with food. This would be great because food connects us all. We all, you know, if we, if we <laughs> sat down, break bread, and have a meal together like we already built a connection regardless where you've come from where what job you have what culture you're at all that is 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 kind of just broken down right away when it when you have a meal together mm-hmm. and that's that's super cool and then with people that have um their origin story you kind of get an idea of what i like to get out of them and i'll you know explain the podcast in a second but i started thinking about that so food origins and that's kind of the idea where I got the name and then um you know I have a couple friends that have podcasts and they were like yeah you need to do that that's what you need to do like start your own podcast I was like me (laughs) you know looking at this you know and here I am you know it's kind of crazy to talk about like almost 30 episodes in you know started end of 2021 um just you know uh, doing them just, you know, bought the equipment and started and then, you know, called it the Food Origins Podcast and then just start cranking and started pulling those relationships that I built over the last 20 years. These are people from all over the place. If you look at some of the guests, they're, they're people I've known for a long time, whether I worked in the city or I, it was the cooking day sometimes. You know, I even had a couple of my culinary classmates on because they were like, yeah, for sure. Because one, I know you and two, I have a lot to share as well. And you kind of have that vibe, you know, once you have that little bit of rapport and relationship with them, it's easy to talk to them, you know? Yeah. And they, and they want to share what they have to offer. And what's cool is I get to show their business, what they're up to these days. And a lot of times you see a huge transition as well. So I kind of show, you know, I'll kind of explain the podcast, but basically it's their origin story themselves with food and then kind of tying it into their life and how that's impacted them. And then we get into, you know, their favorite meals, best and worst. Sometimes there's stuff they hated and they like now, maybe they still don't like it. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into, you know, if they've traveled a lot, then maybe they'll share some travel stories. And then if they have a food related business and they want to talk about it, then we'll talk about that and get into, you know, their menu, whether they're, uh, uh, you know, if they're creating a, a full menu or they're, you know, they're a coffee roaster. So we get into their coffee breakdown, showing their process, where it comes from, what coffee they have, um, and just kind of, sh- you know, that story. And then what's cool is I like, uh, 
I like gear. I think if you <laughs> are in law enforcement, a lot of us like gear because we need proper items to carry with us. And you, we got to have our Batman tools. Yeah. So we get into, you know, having quality gear. And so like I usually have them discuss their favorite tools um, and it could be anything from, you know, a dehydrator to a multi-tool to a chef knife, whatever it is. Right. So kind of get into that and what that gets you, why it's, why it's their favorite every day. And also they get to shout out their local spots, which I think is cool because, you know, here I can tell you my favorites, but to have someone that I haven't been able to talk to and they drop, you know, a bunch of locations that I would never have known. You know, um, I had a guest, uh, shout out to Uli in LA. He's uh, the music, one of the musicians for, he's one of the band members for Oza Motley. He dropped 30 locations right on the top of his head because he's in LA and he's traveled. He's actually traveled the world. So like he was like, yeah, what do you want? Do you want tacos? But what kind do you want? Do you want Alpha store? Do you want carnitas? Do you want, you know, chalupas? Do you want, you know, and he's, he's like, just start breaking it down. He goes, yeah, that's this place, this place, this place. And then what I do for that, so you don't have to go back and try to listen to the episode, I'll put those in the show notes and kind of jot those down. And then you can just go look in the show notes and go, oh, there's that restaurant that so-and-so mentioned. Now I can go check it out and then leave the link for it and it's in there. That's know? so smart because it helps people when they go to an episode. Okay, what are the hit points? Oh, here's a hit point right here. He talks about this. I want to hear about Tacos Al Pastor or whatnot. Yeah. Who was your first guest? Courtney Henderson. And she's from where? He is. Or he actually. is from where? Sorry about that, Courtney. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> all right. Uh, Courtney is from Al, um, Albany, Georgia, actually. Uh, he's in San Diego now. So shout out to Courtney. Courtney is one of the people that put me on the path for the podcast. So shout out to you, man. Um, well, talk about that first episode. I mean, the idea, because people get intimidated. So the idea it. came through, through a couple people. Um, I don't necessarily have to drop all their names, but I can tell you about them off air. But Courtney was definitely a key component in, in me starting the podcast. Um, my wife, Courtney, and another guy named Mike Lover. So those three... Um, were a key component in me saying this is a completely another path you can take. It's completely away from what you were doing before. So no one can tell you what to do kind of, you know? And so they're like, you can take this passion. You clearly know food. And Courtney was like, you clearly know food. I'm always asking you where to eat every time I visit the city or when you come down to San Diego, which, you know, um, I visited there before. Um, it's amazing relationship I have with him. You know, we, we met going to working together. I was volunteering for a conference for one of Jocko's musters. So <laughs> shout out to Jocko Willink and Echelon Front. Like I worked a conference for them and got to kind of, you know, see how he works and how the team, you know, puts everything together. And they're an awesome, awesome group of people teaching awesome stuff. And Courtney was there as a professional photographer and he's a professional MMA t- photographer mm. so that's how we met and he was there um shooting you know some photos and then we just started talking and we've been friends ever since so Courtney put me on the path and was like hey are you clearly no food why don't you do a podcast you know and I was like yeah that's something that I was thinking about and you know even my wife was mentioning that and my buddy Mike was mentioning that and they both were uh, you know between three people two people that already had podcasts and you know my wife was like you kind of need that sometimes you need a little shove over the edge Mm-hmm. And, and take the jump. And so then I was like, okay, full bore. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. Bought the equipment and then just started picking out who I wanted. And Courtney's like, I'll be your first guest. Come down to San Diego. 
Um, he has a photography studio. He's like, we'll do it right here. He's like, bring all your equipment. We'll test it all out. Make sure it works. Make sure we're, we're you know, get the lowdown. So shout out to Courtney for putting me on this, the, the path for it. He has his own podcast. It's called the boisterous boys and they do everything from MMA. Uh, and it's fight talk. I rather say fight talk cause they go over boxing and some other stuff, but yeah. So shout out to Courtney. He was my first guest. Got to talk about, you know, his upbringing in Albany and then, you know, kind of that 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 outline that I talked about, just, you know, sharing what 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 you like and what you don't like and then all your local spots and stuff like that. Wow. Now, what was more nerve wracking for you, recording the episode or pressing uh, submit when it comes to actually posting it out in the world? Submit, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Submit. Yeah. Courtney said he was he was impressed. He was like, ah you know, you kind of already got it going already. Um, like he's like, you were pretty good on the mic. And I was like, well, maybe that comes from listening to to some of the podcasts and kind of understanding, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to do these certain things, you know? And, and I'm sure you know this as you get through each one, you're like, okay, the last one I was like, you know, I spoke too much or I interrupted too much or, you know, and podcasting is, is hard. It's, 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 it's so new to me and I'm still new at it. And yeah. like learning the little intricacies and, and recording, you know, I lost an episode due to power outage. Oh man. Um, so I always have a backup. I have backup power now. So I use, and yeah. you could probably pick this up if you want to use it, but I use a power uh, battery backup surge protector. So it has a battery in it and it plug it in and it'll hold 15 minutes of power. So if this whole building goes, it just went out yeah, and you're not able to press stop, Cause that's what happens. I, I, you know, the building I was in, I lost, I lost the episode, the entire episode and it was 45 minutes in Wow, and it was gone. And what's kind of, you know, and then, you know, like you were talking about, like you just, okay, it's gone. There's nothing I could do with it. And it kind of turned out okay because, uh, shout out to my friend Jose and chef TJ, it ended up having another guy on and the two of them ended up, you know, talking about where they're from. They're, t- they're from Saipan. And so an episode that didn't get done kind of got turned around into, you know, adding another guest and then sharing an even bigger story. So wow, that's uh, you just kind of work with what you got. And and then, you know, you laugh. I can laugh now about it. I was not laughing then. You know, I was like embarrassed and like, you yeah. know, disgusted and, you know, going through the motions. Right. And um, but yeah, that's how I got started. And. Well, just started you, recording. Well, I'll tell you on on a side note, like I am my biggest critic with the, with this whole thing. And if you go back and look at my first episodes, my guests were were great. They say still are, but I didn't know anything about this video camera where it's supposed to go out. The lighting was totally off. I had you know back you know what do you call it, like whitewashed backgrounds. It just looked horrible. The I I had one episode where the camera was tilted slightly and I didn't catch it. I was like, oh, how do you fix this? So if you watch the episodes like number three or something, it's like kind of like off kilter and I'm like well I guess I got to make sure I fix that for next time and even yeah. all the equipment here it's like these things are recording audio but they're on batteries so if it goes out at least I have some sort of audio even though it's going to sound really echoey but it could finish up if I don't do it here this computer here has the battery pack so if this goes out at least I can save it really quick and say well I got that part in that part went out at least and I can just overlap that and I'm like, well, these are the things that I've learned like 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 you and doing several episodes like yeah okay these are this is how I have to get better. And one thing we both have in common is that, do you know how many podcasts there are out there, give or take? Uh, two million? It's around two million. And do you know how many make it past episode three? 
200,000? Yeah, exactly. I read so you, the stat. You I, saw the you stat. You might have posted the stat. And I, I actually might have screenshotted it because I felt it maybe felt pretty good. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I was, I was, I think I told my wife about it. But yeah, the stats there's 2 million podcasts, 200,000 get ma- made past five episodes, right? I three episodes. Or three episodes. And then like it, it dwindles down to about 20,000 have more than you 27 know. episodes. There you go. So we're both in the top 1% of podcasts. Yeah. If everybody wants to be specific about that, that we're still going. And you, cause you realize after you've been doing this for several episodes, you either like it or you hate it. And if you hate it, you're just going to stop there. Yeah. But if you like it and you want to continue going, cause you realize the bigger message of what you're trying to do, that it's not about the money. It's not about getting famous overnight, that it's actually about a message or in your case, a passion that you have that you want to share with the world. Yeah, It takes a lot to pick all this stuff up and go somewhere, especially if you're going to fly somewhere and putting it all on the airplane and then setting it up somewhere where you don't know where and then hope everything works out specifically. And then when you actually press the record button, it's what do I say? What are we going to talk about? Is it, Are people going to like this? You start asking yourself all those, those questions that really don't matter because what matters is that you press the record button and that you're going to go out there and actually do it. And even in the conversation that we're having here, I don't have a script over. These are the questions I'm going to ask Dave about this whole thing. I have an idea, but I let the conversation flow organically. And I think that's the best part about doing a show like like, like, like this is that the more genuine and authentic you are, the more you, your guests trust you, the more things come out you didn't expect. And that's what people pick up on when they listen to the episodes. Like, wow, I'm learning more here than just the basic one, two, three of how to do something. That part's important, but I get I get to feel like I know this person. I get to feel like I'm part of that conversation, which is why I add the video in so you can kind of see our facial reactions that you might not be able to get if you just listen to it on audio and it helps bring everything together because you create an audience that believes in the same message that, that you do. And that's all you really want is you want a core audience that believes in what you do. Let them help you spread it out there as they get more more comfortable with it. But it's been a great experience for me. And I can tell it's been a great experience for you. But we can't be we can be our biggest critic, but never let that count us out because there's only so many of us that actually have made it this far in our episodes. Yeah. So that's a great thing. Yeah, for sure. Now, where did you go from after your, your first episode? What was your mindset in? Okay. I got this experience with, with, with Courtney. I'm into it. I'm not into it. I think it was really good. Um, you know, my brother was down there as well and he's like, Hey, I'll jump on there too. And I was like, really? Okay. And so that was a nice episode talking about our childhood, talking about our mom. So we dedicated that one to our mom. And so, um, that was a really good episode. And then I was kind of off and running. So I was like, okay, I made a list, you know, I had a list already. I still have, it's growing every day of what businesses, what people, and I think it's not so much a business. I think my, my podcast is the people in general, like their business is second. I don't go, Oh, because they have this business, I want to talk to them. It's like, no, I want to talk to the person behind all that. And then everyone gets to know them about it. So I kind of went through the list of people and I was like, what do I want to share from what, you know, their, what their story is, their origin story. Um, and a lot of times it's, you know, we look for something cool, but it's in unique, but it's, it's just the people I knew already. So I just started, let's do the people I know already. So they'll be comfortable with me interviewing them. We have that kind of rapport already. Uh, you know, the ice is broken. They don't have to go, Oh, I don't know this guy. Like, why does he want to talk to me? I, you know, what's he going to ask me? So I would give an outline kind of, you know, what I told you, like, this is what the podcast is about. This is what I want to share. This is what I want people to know about you. And then you're free to like give advice, you know, give promotions, give, you know, talk about your business, tell us some stuff we don't know, you know? And so I kind of went through that and then it's, it's become, uh, 
I'm still seeking out the people that I want initially. And those are, those are in process of scheduling and just trying to, to land them. And, you know, as you know, I don't have a studio. So like I haven't figured out where that's going to be and how do I want to have that set up. I, so I just been going on location. So I go on location. I set everything up myself. Uh, so if anyone out there that's a media guy, I need a media guy to help me uh, kind of do some uh, around the, the scene stuff. Because lately I've been doing it all myself, set up the roadcaster, set up the mics. Now that I've gone to video, I set up one camera, but it would be nice to have someone else kind of doing those things, but also like being able to see us and take photos and like do some extra content for the guest as well. You know, like a lot of these guests are high level restaurant tours and I want people to see what they're doing and they want to show it too, you know? So, oh, yeah. Um, well, I'd know, be happy to help you out with the network that I build in terms of helping you get yeah, a studio awesome. or in terms of people that come up with the videography yeah. because this is, it's a creator economy now yeah. and we're learning, learning this, but yeah. you know, it's no longer back in the day you just got a job like, like our dads did. You worked there for 30 years, blue collar work, good, decent, stable pay. And then you take care of the family with that, especially around here, which is how much everything costs in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It really is a creator economy. So if you can yeah. find a talent that you can put out there that people will will enjoy, you can make a good living off of that. And it's amazing how this platform that we're doing here, who would have thought about this 10 years ago? It yeah, and, and I'm still learning the business, learning business in general. I've always worked for someone else. So working for myself is all new to me. So I'm learning that. I'm trying to learn from other people, you know, the pros at it. The guys are doing really well and, and learn the ins and outs and learning to, you know, create a list, you know, a business. How do I monetize a podcast? It's my podcast is not monetized. I have no sponsors. So, you know, everyone thinks, oh, you got a new job. You got this <laughs> podcast. It must be rocking and rolling. How much do you get paid? I'm like, uh, nothing yeah, right now. It. it takes a, it takes time to, to build the audience and, uh, you know, it'll come. You just have to keep working at it. It, it, it you know, it's. Unless you get fortunate, you get exposed or something and you get some exposure, maybe you'll pick up an early sponsor. But most of the time it's down the road, you know. Yeah, you uh, it's like any startup company. When you first begin this thing, you're not making any money. Nobody knows yeah. you. You know, yeah. you're asking to spend 30 minutes. How, how much are your episodes about 30 minutes long? They're uh, about an hour. I okay. keep them around an hour. And right. then, you know, if they're shorter, longer, I, I let that let that happen. So what we realize is we're asking complete strangers to spend an hour of their time, or in my case, maybe two hours of their time to listen to somebody who mm -hmm. they, they don't know, speak to somebody else that they, that, that they don't yeah. know. And you really understand that it is about building the audience first. Yeah. Because with 8 billion people in the world there, there's going to be somebody else who knows more about what I talk about than, than I do, who might be famous or like a Joe Rogan or whatnot that people just want to relate to because they know that. And some podcasts, people want to go on for the guests. So if you get a big, if you get Anthony, if you get like Michael Minna on your, on your show, or if you get uh, one of the other big name chefs around here to come on, people might listen to your show for that person, but is it going to get them to keep coming back to you? And it is all about building the audience. So once you understand what your why is, what you believe in, and you can convey that message out there on all your social media platforms. Now people start saying, okay, I know who Dave is. I kind of know what, what he's doing it. I want to follow that path. I like hearing this podcast. And they start listening more and more and more. So these, this is why I told you I played the long game. I'm not thinking six months from now. I'm thinking 10 years from now. What does yeah. this look like? It's a long-term investment. But the more you do it, the more better you get at it, the more people you meet, the bigger your network gets. It just becomes a much bigger thing that any startup company will, will tell you. When I first started, it was nothing. Now I'm over here, but I had to take the grind. I had to do those, those steps in the beginning 
to get to the point where I'm at now. And then you find out with monetization, it's not just worrying about AdSense or uh, sponsorships. They can make you some money, not a lot. And then the amount of work you have to put into it to get that, that money may not be worth it. But then you start saying, what have you done on your show that people want to emulate? The fact that you, that you have the courage to get in front of a microphone is a skill that a lot of people would like to have and they don't, they get intimidated by this thing right here. Like, oh, no one wants to hear me, whatever. And if you could find a way to help people get on that better, you'd be surprised how many people around here. I was surprised about how many people around here are like, dude, I would always, I would like to do something like that. I have no idea where to, where to start. You've done it. Help me out with that. So I, I've seen how these, this, this, this entity here can grow into a different area where I'm building a skill here that people want to, they, that, that they want to get. And if they're already audience members that see, that believe in the message that, that, that you're doing, they want you to teach them, not the guy on TV who says, you know, he has all this, he can get you all this. They're relatable to you. You're their audience and they want to see how you did it because they believe in you. So there's so many different ways that this thing, that this thing can, can grow. But the fact that you're still doing it, that's the first step right there. So I'm yeah. excited to see where the, where the Food Ocean's podcast is going because I got some ideas already of who you're going to get on and... What do you guys yeah, want to talk and, about? Yeah, and like uh, like you were talking about chasing some of the more more notable people, they're there. They're in the back of my mind as far as who I want on. But it's also the local business too. Like I have my local roast coffee roaster on. I've had restaurants that I've frequented in the past. So a lot of times I've been a customer for years, years. Not like, oh, I just went there the other day and then scoped it out and I was like, all right, I'm going to get them on the podcast. No, I've known them for they recognize me right away and they go, Hey, how you doing? You know? And then I was like, Hey, I've got this new project. Um, you know, remember what I was doing before? They're like, yeah, well, what happened? I was like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing this and I want to talk to you about it. And then I haven't had really anyone say no, you know, because I have already had that relationship with them. They understood who I was. They know I'm a good dude. I'm just, you know, I have good intentions and I'm just like, Hey, I want to share your story. This is what I'm doing and it's a new project. I, I'm doing it all on my own. There's no, you know, I'm not trying to get anything out of it. Maybe a free meal. No, just <laughs> kidding. But, you know, I think that's kind of the premise behind it. So I, I started doing that and that's how I built the first, you know, 10, 20 episodes is around a lot of people. And I'm still going as mm -hmm. far as who's around me. So I'm kind of going around me and then it's branching out to, you know, eventually out of state and the country and then, you know, it'd be cool to see worldly stuff too. But yeah, that's kind of where it's building. <laughs> well, and, the, and this, well, this didn't, it surprised me and then it didn't, but people like, like to talk about what, what's important to them. And if you get someone on, like just me talking to you right now, this is what, what's important to you. It's the Food Origins Podcast. You know it, you live it, you, you breathe it. This is your project. This is what, what, what you want to do. Yeah. If I sat here talking to you about how to build a shelf or whatever, it just wouldn't, it's not important to you. You're like, okay, well, I used to do that back in the day, but it doesn't really, you know, this is my thing yeah. now. So when I started, when I believed in that and said, people want to talk about what's important to them, and I started asking people about, hey, I want to talk to you about this because I know it's important to you. It gave them the courage to want to come on, whether it's a business or a passion. They're like, yeah, I want to talk about that because that's important to me. And the more I did that, the more of a catalog of people that I had. So when I approached somebody else who maybe is a little hesitant or they're a little curious, they can go back and see all the work that I've done. Like, oh, you've been doing this for a while. This is how your episodes have progressed. I know that person. Wow, you made them look good. I'm going to go talk to them. How was your experience on the Real Talks on the Rocks? 
Let me tell you something about Mike. He had water here for me. He had he greeted me at the door. All these little experiences that we yeah. know just being in law enforcement that people pay, pick up on. Now you're your guests who are a little apprehensive, but like, okay, I'm gonna give him a shot because I've been heard nothing but but good things and I can see great things. That only comes because you keep doing the episodes. Yeah. And then people just start saying, Wow, okay, this is something that I want to be a part of. If you were brand new, like your episode one, two, or three, it's a lot harder. So you really have to make sure that you you know, you may have to talk to people you you've been knowing for a while because at least they know you and they and they trust you. They're not worried about it. Yeah. And then the more you do that, now you can get some people who are maybe on the fence, like what is this doing for me? And then to be able to say, I want to help you promote your business. You're doing great things at this restaurant here. People need to hear about it. You know, yeah, you you could spend money on Yelp ads or whatnot, but I want to be able to have your voice out there so people can hear from the master chef himself or herself. This is how I created my own, my own business, my restaurant. This is why it's important to me. And it just clicks more like, yeah, I can't put that on the Yelp ad that just no one's going to see it that way. But on a podcast. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that people relationship that we learn just being in law enforcement, going back to being on the footbeat, saying hi to the restauranteurs, saying hi to the people as you walk down down the street and they, and they see you there. That trust that you build up, which is a fundamental thing of why I do what I do here. It's about building trust with the guests. Remember I told you about 45 minutes or so things start to open up. We've been doing this about an hour and 15 minutes Things just open Dang. up. It's yeah. a it's like a social phenomenon that I've seen happen every single time yeah. because we're into the conversation and I learn more about what you're doing and it gets me excited. It gets me hungry, first of all, yeah. but it gets me excited to say, yeah, someone else out there has a similar passion to me. We want to share other people's messages and how do we do that? And by me and you sitting here talking about it, we're getting better, just getting the information out there. Yeah. So it's an awesome thing, man. So now going back to the Food Origins podcast again. What is the future holding? What do you got up your sleeve? Um, I mean, just more guests for sure. Always. Um, it's going to video. So um, working on that, you know, that's a big that's step. That's a whole that's a good step one. to be on video and making sure everything's set up right. Um, learning YouTube, you know, because if it's going to be on YouTube, it's got to have a certain setup and learning that, but also trying to keep it simple. I, you know, it's, it, you know, it, that stuff's expensive. So I'm just keeping things simple. And then, so yeah, going to video, uh, right now, still doing them on location. Um, got some ideas on how I can tour around, um, you know, possibly an adventure van maybe set up. <laughs> um, that way I could get to locations and not be in a rush to leave or go. Um, that's something I'm thinking about doing. Um, there's a lot of contacts I've met outside um, so I can reach out to them. And you know how the network just grows. Yep. But also just being somewhere and then not having to leave right away and be like, okay, I can hit up. I can do three podcasts in one week, you know, or whatever yeah. it is, or, or, or what also I, I kind of want to do is spend some time with a guest. You know, a lot of my guests, are, like I said, are, are pros at what they do, you know? Um, and so like being able to, like, I still love to cook. So it's not just me just hearing about the food. I still want to do it. So if they're really good at making bread, I want to learn how to make bread. Or if they're really good at making pizza, you know, um, I had Lars Smith, the state of mind pizza in Los Altos. He's got two other locations. Lars is awesome. So shout out to Lars. Uh, I, you know, definitely want to come back to him and, and learn pizza. He's won, you know, competitions for pizza in Italy, you know. And so you, when you see someone that at that high level, you want to learn from them too, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, just, it's, and it's a different, different card to, to get in your pocket. So I want to go back and do those things. Well, I need some media. I need, you know, I need someone else to, you know, kind of shoot that content too. Mm -hmm. So kind of working on that end. Um, and that's a, a, a selfish thing too, is where I get to learn as well. And, 
you know, you guys can watch me screw up or not, you know, but I, I want to learn those things on a personal basis because I still want to grow my cooking repertoire. You know, like I, I haven't cooked professionally in a long time. I can cook or I'm all right, but I haven't been in the kitchen in a while. You I, know, I will um, tell you one thing, though. don't chase perfection because nobody cares yeah. about if you're perfect. Yeah. You're, you're going to screw up and that's what humanizes you. That's yeah. what makes you relatable. Mm-hmm. Oh, I put too much flour in this yeast yeah. or whatever, or uh, the camera was off slightly. Like, like yeah. I told you about, I started to do that more. Like I posted a burnt like dish, like it wasn't perfect. It was burnt. And I posted there it's burnt. And this is, you know, this is what happens sometimes. It still tastes good for the most part. Yeah. Um, you might have to, you know, the old days of scraping off the toast, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. burnt the toast, you guys scrape it off. So, you know, you just, that's all part of the learning process. I started making tortillas, you know, um, delving into <laughs> my wife's side. She's Mexican and I look Mexican all the time. I get mistaken for it all the time. You know? <laughs> I'm sure you know that. But like uh, I started making tortillas and tortillas are not easy to make. Um, I mean, some people can do them really easily. It took me a while just to get them to you know, that final set, the satisfaction of getting to poof up in, yeah. in the, uh, you know, comal, but I use a, a cast iron pan as my comal. And so I'll make the dough and then I made some yesterday and, and the satisfaction of seeing it rise is all, oh, yeah. is all worth the, the time, you know, and then just, you know, uh, a little bit of butter. There's nothing like fresh homemade tortillas. My mom used to make them. I still ask her every now and then I go to her house. Hey, can nope, she doesn't want to do it anymore. Because uh, it is a lot of work to get yeah. the batter out there, yeah. the rope on the balls. And then you have to have the right uh, butcher block with the roller. And then you're turning them, you're flattening them, you're turning them, you're flattening them. And then you throw them on the grill. Yeah. But man, a freshly cooked tortilla, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And you're right, throwing the butter on there or the cheese, whatever it is. And yeah. it's just, man, it melts in your mouth. They're not good three days later because they're fresh. But man, that first, oh yeah. I got to convince my mom to start making them again. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can teach you how to make them too. No, I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the space in my, in my kitchen to be yeah. able to lay everything. I'm like, all right, I'm making tortillas. Cause then if I make them, I'm only going to make a few that I'm going to eat. So right. it's just, okay, I'll yeah. go to Whole Foods and buy the ones in the bag. Should have brought you some today. Then. Ooh, that would have been awesome. If you would have yeah. brought me that. Next time. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the progression uh, with that side of things with the guests. So learning from their specialty, you know, like going back to the coffee roaster and watching them roast coffee, like teach me how to roast coffee. Like, how do you know the color? How do you know how much heat? How do you know, you know, when it's ready? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I'm excited to do those things, um, and collaborate with those guys on that and gals and then just branching out the guests. Right. Like, so it's, you know, uh, if you guys look at my guest list, they're not all chefs. Everyone's from all over the place, you know, uh, tech guys to, you know, guys that, um, you know, I just interviewed a baker. I just interviewed a guy that does Japanese Wagyu. So like Ooh. my friend Sean of Papa Wagyu. So like, um, and also just been doing a lot of networking and I'm sure you're doing the same is, is, is who can I connect with that I really like? And I'm just going to, you know, I'm the, and, and doing it face to face though, not over a phone. I try not to do a cold email or cold phone call. Right. Cause it's yeah. just, it's not enough. So I'm trying to get out there and meet people and create that that rapport with them and build a relationship. And they know that it's genuine. And I'm just like, hey, I just want to share your story. This is what I'm doing. This is what the Food Origins podcast is all about. And then being able to share everything that they're doing. And a lot of times I'm already a customer. I already know about their business, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I've eaten there. You know, I'm working on um, meeting with a lot of 
the the products that I've already been using. So like that's another thing I've built over time. And shout out to Instagram, man. Like you can amazing, you can meet a lot of amazing people through you know Instagram just using their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And they appreciate it, and then they that you get feedback, you know, and sometimes they'll send you stuff or whatever, and and because they know you're gonna use it, and they know you love it, and all you're gonna do is talk about it, right? Word of mouth is like the best promotion ever, yeah. right? Word it's, of mouth and you know physical like use of the product, seeing it you know done on a dish. They're like, hey, this guy made such and such, you know? Yeah. I and mean, then it's it spirals from there. The network spirals from there. Like I have three companies off the top of my head. I could tell you that they've been super supportive of me through the last few years, watching me grow this, you know, kind of entity, mm-hmm. this business, whatever it is I'm creating with the podcast and my own brand of what else do I want to do with it? You know, am I going to be cooking? Am I going to be showing cooking? I have some product ideas I want, you know, I'd love to have some different things, some, some definitely some, uh, you know, count, you know, some conversation pieces for sure that you could use. So those are in my head. So there's a lot of, a lot of other stuff in the, in the works. I, it just, I just, you know, the podcast is like kind of the thing I'll always be doing, I think, mm-hmm. because the guests are, are endless and there's so many cool people to share their story. And so I'm keeping it with that. And then, and just, yeah, just, and learning, you know, I'm always learning too. Like I'm, the business is is all new to me too. It's uh yeah, this is always going to be your bread and butter here. The fact that you get to sit down with, with somebody and pick their brain and ask them all these these questions because you're generally interested in it, that's always going to be the bread the bread and butter. Eventually, the merchandise will will come, the programs that you create or the monetization yeah. that will happen. Yeah. But at the core is going to be what you're doing this for in the beginning, which is I legitimately want to talk to these people and find out their origin story. How did they, they cook something? How did they get into being into cooking or being a chef? And where can I grow from here? And it just, that gives you that, that unique purpose to say, I generally want to go and find out about all this stuff. And if I can make some money off it down the line, that, that's great, but that's not the focus on it. Yeah. If you go into this thinking, I'm going to make a million dollars a year doing this, and you're in the wrong business because that's not what this is about first. And people will snip it out right away. Like, oh, you're just doing it just because you want the clicks, the views, or whatever. But when they know what you're really doing it for, that audience will stick with you. And you also learn, you also grow. And again, did you think you'd be doing this 10 years ago? No way. Is it? No way. No way. Listen to Rogan and, and all my favorite podcasts, you know, Rogan, you know, shout out to like Rogan's a goat. We know he's the best there is right now, but even he started with nothing, you know, started just in his basement and, and, and in a room full of guys just, you know, using some streaming service and just talking. They were like just BSing together because that's how it started. And people don't realize that they see the product he has now and they're like, oh man, he's got a, no dude. Like if you go back and look at the process of his podcast and why he is what he is, it's because he had genuine intention. I just want to talk to someone and you know, it's become where now he's like providing a more educational thing for everyone too, which is great. So that's, that's, that's what it's kind of become. And everyone's excited for the next guest, you know, whether it's, and I like it too. He's not, what, he doesn't have one genre of people. He's like, it's not just fighters. Yeah. You know, although no, that's it's his bread like, and butter. Is it fighters. is his bread and butter, but like he's also got, but he's also multifaceted with comedy and, you know, everything else that that's, he's yeah. tapped into. Right. So that's kind of why I, I like that. And I, I, I try to keep that in mind in the back of my mind is like food, it, like, you know, shout out to all the chefs. I love you guys, but I'm, I'm not always after a chef, right? Cause mm-hmm. that's a very narrow specific, t- uh, trade 
and there's so much more out there. So I'm, I keep it open, you know, try to keep it open. And then somebody asked me the other day and they were just asked me the goal, what's the goal of the podcast? And I'm like, well, um, you know, yeah, monetization is, is a long way away, you know, but the passion for me is that I interview this guest and somebody from a far, far away place walks in their door and they say, I heard this podcast from Dave's podcast and I'm here to try your food. Or I'm here to try your coffee. I'm here to try whatever it is, you know, that you're, I want to see what you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's part of the goal for sure. That's, that's awesome, man. And when you get to the point where you can clearly articulate why you're uh, doing it, then that puts everybody into perspective. Okay. I get why Dave's doing this. Like for me, for example, the reason why I started this show, like we, we talked about earlier is that I kept hearing from a lot of people that were making excuses why they, they couldn't do something or that it was somebody else's fault. And I just came with the idea like, no, people do have control over the things that, that, that happens in their life. You can't control when somebody passes on. You can't control when you get an injury. There are things that are out of your, your control, but you can't control how you act from that. This is the cards I've been dealt with, or I lost that fight, or I lost that game. For whatever reason, maybe I did get screwed around, but what am I going to do for that now? Okay, I can make excuses, or I can find a way to get better. This is the game I'm playing. How do I play the game better? And if you have that mindset, everything just, just, just changes at, at that point. Because you don't rely on anybody else in a good way to have to pick you to pick you up. You're like, no, I want control of this. I want to take control of my fitness or my finances or my mental health or the career that I'm in. I don't want to be stuck in a job that I hate for for 30 years or whatever because uh, you know it pays the bills working in a cubicle all day or it you know it's Google so they they give me all this free stuff and I can't leave there. No, you do have control over it. Maybe it starts with you know reducing your expenses. So you don't have to depend on a big $250,000 Google salary or whatever it is that you can live off a smaller amount, which opens up the door for you to say, well, okay, if I can live off this, maybe there's another career that I can do. I'm not tied down to this one job just because it has a lot of zeros at the end of the paycheck. No, I want to do something else that actually I enjoy doing. And to be able to bring people on here who have gone through like what you've gone through between the injuries and your mother passing on at the same time (laughs) could have easily have given up on that. And you Mm -hmm. said, no, you're able to pivot into something else. And that's the kind of story I like to, to, to share on here. So people can hear this over time that, yeah, all these, these guests that he's bringing on have had some of that has happened in their, in their life that easily that they could have given up on, but they, they decided to take control of whatever aspect it was and they're thriving off of it. Or the people who specialize in helping you gain control of your life that way. And the platform that I want to create is that, is that you can come somewhere and you can get that. So you may not know who every guest is. In fact, you probably won't. But you know that when you come onto my show that you're going to get that kind of a story from them. And the more people hear that, the more it's going to reiterate in their minds. But it's going to take a long, a long, a long time. I'm not, if I had a podcast that was micro niche, like I just talk about real estate or I just talk about investing. I would get bored with that pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So in my, you know, some people tell you you have to niche all the way down and get a specific audience. And in my mind is this is a long game and I don't want to be tied down to just one specific as, yeah. um, aspect. The bigger theme is taking control of your life, but you can do it through fitnesses, through finance, through finding a new, new career. How do you fix your mental health? And those things I can keep talking about the people all day long. So even in the Food Origins podcast, you're right. You don't have to talk to just chefs all the time. You could talk to people in tech. You could create a theme around food in general, but you're talking to different people. The business side of it, the financial side of it, the uh, how do you, I guess one thing that, I, that I've heard from people who are chefs a lot is 
I have to eat so much because it's a part of the job. How do I keep my, myself in shape at the same time? You know, that could be a cool thing there too. Like, oh, how does that shift? How does that with Robert Urshan or whatever? That guy that's like ultra bulked and he's like this big time shift. Okay, how do you stay that ripped and lean? And if you can, if you're doing it without the use of any performance enhancement stuff, how do yeah. you do that? Because I'm in the kitchen just as much as you are, and this is not how I look. So it's funny. Yeah, how I mean, there's an. Man, I'm gonna. I forget his name, but there's an Australian fitness chef. Like that's what he. That's what he does. He like he cooks for fitness. So like he cooks for athletes, and there's a few of them out there. Um, uh, you you know there's there's different ones. There's Paleo Chef on Instagram. She's she's awesome. Like she cooks for athletes. She can't talk about. She's like these these are <laughs> these are athletes. I can't even tell you who they are. But here's some of the stuff that's meal prepped for them. And it's, you know, all healthy food and, 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 and performance based. So like, oh, they have a shake for after their workout. They have pregame food. They have meals in between, you know, like it's yeah. all planned out, you know, like I was asking, I think I asked Courtney about, you know, MMA fighters and how their food is. And if there's anything interesting, he's like, there's not anything interesting because they have <laughs> a regimented thing that's on there. I mean, I think guys like me or really good, you know, chefs could come up with stuff to make things taste good mm-hmm. like we can add a few things and try not to add too much calories or, or you know make that but yeah so like you kind of you understand there's different categories for everything and like fitness and i'm still learning that too like being hurt and stuff it's like yeah and i like to eat i love food and you know food is can be <laughs> you know like uh you know kind of a um what do you call it like a not a detriment like a you know, uh, not therapeutic, but it's like uh, stress eating, you know, yeah. like you, sometimes you stress eat just because you're like, I, I just want something freaking, you know, whatever I want to eat, you know? Yeah. Like anything else, if you don't control it, it's yeah. like, all right, now it, it it's- can bring you down the path. Yeah. Correct. So, um, but like, yeah, so there are definitely people out there. Like I would love to talk to him that that's a fitness chef, but like he lately, he's been doing some reels on Instagram where he'll go in and hit somebody up and say, hey, Mike, uh, how much do you spend on food every month? And some of them sound pretty crazy amounts of money that people spend. But he's like, I'm going to go to your apartment and cook whatever you have in your fridge. Mm, wow. You know, and he does it. And sometimes they have nothing. Sometimes they got a, a plethora of stuff and he'll just go in and make a, a clean, good cooked meal and that's kind of neat you know like people need to see that like hey it can yeah. totally be done if you just have chicken breasts and some freaking onions and you know a couple some eggs and he's like i'll make you an omelet you know that's so awesome man. stuff like that right i think a lot of people would struggle with that it's one thing to go to the store and buy the ingredients but then to actually get in the kitchen and start chopping and then you start telling yourself oh, that's a lot of work to make a yeah. salad or whatever i think i would like to get in some sort of aspect of teaching but not like extensive. I don't have the, the, you know, I've never worked at a fancy, huge Michelin star restaurant or anything like that. I don't have that huge background, but getting past the hump of like cooking, like people are like, Oh, I wish I could meal prep. And I'm like, well, it's, if you actually do like for me, I guess it comes easy, but that's something, you know, you could think about. Right. But, um, if you could meal prep or you could, you know, cook a steak or so there's a lot of like things that could go around, and I think that would be fun helping other people do that. And I try to do that, uh, you know, through a lot of my general friends and stuff or people that hit me up. But um, there's a lot of good, good chefs and good cooks out there shooting a lot of content right now. Um, it's pretty easy. Like you can type in a, a, a dish on Instagram, hashtag, you know, ribs. And there's like, you know, 5,000 videos of ribs being cooked, you know. 
That's crazy. And it's so the content's there. It's just a matter of can that can you pass that on to that person and they can actually do it. So, um, yeah, that's something that I look forward to, too, just helping people out cooking in general because it's not easy. I mean, the fact is that you still went out there and you did it, though, between your, your uh, podcast and also just learning how to how to cook either way is that you've still said, you know, I can get all the motivation in the world. I have to go out there and do it. I have to go out there and plug this thing in. I have to go out there and talk to the guests. And then once you take that next step, it's like, wow, I really can go all different facets here. You know, talking to that that chef that has the uh, paleo diet that she does for certain people to keep them in shape and whatnot. It's it's like, man this one theme of food can branch out into so many different areas. And it means that if you're, if you're willing to do it, which it sounds like you are, you're going to have a long future with this podcast. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about it. I can't wait to go on a video. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. as you can see here, it's uh, a lot of work. And I was telling you, it takes me about 10 hours to finish everything yeah. up from the time oh. you set up to editing and making all the reels over time. You add it all up. It's about that much, but if you enjoy it, then you realize early on that I actually like doing this. I like getting the message out there that the time is, you know, does, it doesn't matter as much because I'm mm-hmm. not doing it for, for the money. I'm doing yeah. it for getting the right message out there. Um, but this is a, this has been a great conversation. I think we're at hour 45 minutes. Around. All right. So, damn. Again, I got to tell you, time flies when we have these, these conversations because things just come up that we didn't both didn't think about in the beginning. It does. So what's the best way for people to find, to reach out to you? <laughs> pretty easy. Uh, foodoriginspodcast.com pretty much has everything. You'll see my podcasts. You can listen directly from there. The links are in there uh, under podcasts. Um, and then I'm food.origins underscore on Instagram. And then there's an Instagram just for the podcast. It's just food origins podcast. Um, those are the two easiest ones to get a hold of me. And then, um, yeah, man. And then that's it. Wow. And I still have to pick your brain on some of these other places we were talking about. This pizza place in Los, Los Altos, right? Yep. I got to go there. Was that the one featured on the in, the internship? Uh, I don't know if it was on the internship, but uh, he's he's been one of my guests on the podcast. So yeah, okay. you wow. can easily learn from what he has to say. And um, as a, you know, uh, someone who worked in the industry and then opened his own you know, it's pretty cool to see his progression. And then, and then what's cool now is some of my guests know each other. That's becoming a thing too. And that's become really, really cool is that, Oh, you know, I guess I interviewed when I first started is like, Oh, you need to talk to so-and-so, you know, like you always get referrals. Right. Yeah. But they're like, no, it's not just, I'm referring to him. He's my friend. Like we went through the pandemic together and we, you know, talked every day and this is how we discussed how we, how are we going to keep our business going? And, you know, people got to understand these restaurants went through hell for this, this process, you know, and a lot of them didn't make it. And it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing. It's, it's tough. And the, the restaurant business is probably the toughest business in the world. I think, um, you know, the city used to have a stat where it's like one out of a hundred restaurants that open, make it past two years. I think people forget just how thin the margins are, or don't know just how yeah, thin of yeah. a margin the restaurants run under. Yeah. And that every time that they have to increase prices, it's yeah. not because they're trying to necessarily make more money, but yeah. the, w- doing a restaurant in the city, you're paying the, the mandate tax, you're trying to pay your workers, and then they're saying, why would I want to work for a restaurant when I could work for tech or whatever? So then it's hard to find people. There's one place down down the street here that has a sign on their, on their door saying, uh, our new hours are like eight to two, due to the fact that we can't find anybody to staff the, 
to staff the restaurant. Yeah, we can only tough. stay up until whatever. Like, yeah, wow, this, this never used to be a thing, yeah. but it's, and then the, the real sad part is when you walk down the street, you see all these restaurants that used to be open. They're just, they're all shut, mm-hmm. shut down now. And yeah. either they didn't make it out of, the, out of the pandemic or just the foot traffic left San Francisco in a way yeah. where, man, there's just nobody here anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I think that would be a good thing to find out is how a lot of these chefs and restaurateurs are pivoting. They're like, all right, this is what we've been dealt with. How do we get through this now? How do we say this is the new business model or this is how we can keep the, the doors open and still deliver a great product? I'm really curious to see if, the, yeah, you know, if that's I've, becoming a conversation. It is. It, it came up, uh, you know, I started this podcast at what, end of 2021, actual recording, and then didn't release it till April 2022. So, yeah, that conversation was fresh on their minds. And, you know, I didn't like bringing it up, but I was like, people need to know what it took to get through through everything that was going on between, you know, saying, yeah, we're going to close for a week. Then it came a month, two months, three months. And then it's like, okay, you have all these protocols. So they, they all talked about it. So I've gone over it with several of the the owners and and they've all talked about it. So they give their breakdown on how they dealt with it. Um, and each one's different, each one's different, whether they they were able to get a parklet out front for the business, which allowed them more space. Um, where they got lucky and they, you know, like they did sandwiches. Shout out to Ken Turner. He's Turner's Kitchen in the Mission on 17th and Guerrero over mm. there. Really good sandwiches. He was a chef at, um, oh boy. Um, Put on the spot now. Yeah. <laughs> Zuni Cafe. Sorry. He was All a right. chef at Zuni Cafe. And um, then, he, then he, you know, was done with being a chef and he was like, I want to open my own thing. And uh, he took over the old Claire's Deli on 17th over there and uh, open his own restaurant. And you can imagine a chef, full-blown restaurant chef, making your sandwich. So you know wow. they're going you know to be good. Yeah. So um, shout out to Ken. Ken was on the podcast and he talked about that and having to, you know, come up with a a, a, a cough shield and, and, and do the to-go model and, and kicking everybody out of the, the place. He just, his place isn't huge, but he was fortunate that he's like, hey, I have a great to-go model. Everything can be ordered online and pick it up right away, you know. So mm-hmm. sandwiches were a good, easy one to pivot, but it wasn't as easy because you're still dealing with the customer base and ha- having to navigate day day to day like, oh, you can do this now or you can't do this or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So all those owners have talked about it and, yeah, each one has their way of how they dealt with it. And some of them, you know, didn't, you know, they, they, they didn't make it. You know, that's the tough part is they have friends that, had their nice restaurant and they don't have it anymore. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's the unfortunate part about the business is that it's because the margins are so thin, it's really, you know, if I have one bad week, it could be the end of my, yeah. of my shop. Nothing that people want to think about. I, I heard somebody once tell me that probably the most profitable restaurant business is having a breakfast place because you're only open so many hours. You're o- almost always guaranteed to be busy because everybody likes to go and eat breakfast yeah. and the margins on what you buy for breakfast food like eggs and whatnot maybe not eggs right now but are a lot better and since you don't have to worry about hiring multiple staff members yeah you tend to thrive more have you heard that it's true even the one of my instructors in culinary school said the same thing he's like yeah breakfast will always sell and it's kind of true i mean you know most people will, will go for breakfast a lot and those do pretty well yeah Wow. So the secret out there to any uh, restaurant tour in the future right there, if you want to focus on breakfast, hey, and you find the right niche, you might be able to yeah. make it really happen yeah. in a much easier way. But yeah. 
Dave Sands, this was a great podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I learned a lot about you and the Food Origins podcast. And I think what's really important here is that the audience, that they can hear your side of the story. And the overall theme of what I want people to get is you had been given a very bad hand at a very important time of your life. And you could have easily have said, that's the end of it. Or, you know, I'll just live off of government stipends and then not figure out what I'm going to do after that. But you said, no, I have a passion. I have an interest. I want to do something. I want to make it happen. You didn't make any excuses. You went out there and you made it happen. And taking that first step to make your first episode, spending the money on all the equipment, and then taking it down to San Diego to set the whole thing up, probably not knowing what you guys are going to talk about. Just we're going to talk about something related to, to food. And then ultimately making that first uh, commitment to click the submit button so it gets put out there in the rest of the world. That takes a lot. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of determination. And it takes a lot of confidence in yourself to be able to, to, to do that. So I'm excited for people to hear this episode here, even if you don't care about food, which I don't know who doesn't. But just to hear Dave's story here about how he was able to pull through that is what I want people to get out of this episode. So if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel and share it with people that you know that you think will get something beneficial out of this. And if you are listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other platforms, leave, leave a comment for me and share the episode. This is how the algorithms figure out that people are enjoying it. And this is how they get to spread it out to other people who may not have even known that this show exists. But Dave Sands, thank you again for coming Thanks. out. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Everybody have a good one. Appreciate it. Take care.